Alrighty, Rue, we are live. Okay, um, here we are in episode two, hanging out in the garden, Genesis chapter two. We're going to uh, dive into some more good stuff today, yo. Yeah, we are. It's gonna chapter be good. one, that was, that was enlightening. Um, yep. I learned a lot from our discussion, and I was really impressed of how much we know about the Bible. Oh, man, so was I. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and we're just getting warmed up, man. So that's what's up. Uh, we, impress each, we impress ourselves every day, though. Oh, yeah, we do, man. Yep. Uh, we're missing yeah. our third bro today, by the way, which is yep. unfortunate. We've got um, this serious children crisis stuff instead of like <laughs> dressing. Back, back to two bros. Yeah, back to two bros. We were and, a third bro now, too. Down our information. Um, All right, just to get us going here, uh, we're on Genesis chapter 2, and I almost made a mistake a little bit earlier. I had NIV yeah, set yeah. up, and we correctly changed it to NASB yeah. because we are Christians. We're eating meat. We're not drinking milk in, in, in these episodes, okay? That's true. So get, get, get out your steak knife for what we're doing here, okay? That's right. We're adults. We're not babies yeah, anymore. Exactly. Um. Yeah. Cool. So I'm going to jump in uh, right away to this first paragraph. The creation of man and woman. Chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed, and all their host by the seventh day God completed his work which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work which god had created and made nice so um kind of one of the things here we see chapter two is is a snapshot or more of a diving in i mean we're gonna uh uncover that as we go through the rest of it but so we see in the first in chapter one we got like a whole layout of creation week um, obviously, it's concluding kind of creation week in verses one through three. But and right now, God is going to focus on uh, the the sixth day, which of you know the day that He made uh, man and woman. So um, that's kind of what what chapter two is. Is it's kind of like you have chapter one, this layout. Then chapter two is a zoom in to that layout. Yeah. Put another way, chapter one is just creation days one through six. And now we're jumping into the seventh day. And if we see here, then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work, which he, which God had created and made. So he rested. And if you kind of look at the structure of today's week, you know, how many days are in a week? Seven days. Um, how many days are there rest? Well, you know, here in the United States, we have two weekends, I mean, two days on a weekend. So we have two days, but in the, in Jewish history, you know, they had the Sabbath. And so on the Sabbath, they rested. And so it's really modeling this creation week that we see here in chapters one and two. Definitely. So, and with that, though, I want to, um, yeah, so God gave us that, that model, right? But also, I think it's important to say that, like, God didn't need to rest. It's not like God got tired from all this. He just, like, the word rested is kind of like a God ceased from creating. Mm. Uh, not out of necessity, just 
because he wanted to be the example. Like, so like, you know, like Christ was our example during his earthly ministry. Uh, God, when he created all existence was the example um, just for the, the, the weekly habits, you know, or, or, or how, how you function during the week. Right. So let's move on to paragraph two. I'm going to read this as well. I'm going to leave Justin with some future paragraphs. Nice. Verse four. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made earth and heaven. Now, no shrub of the field was yet in the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted. For the Lord God had not sent rain upon the earth, and there was no man to cultivate the ground. But a mist used to rise from the earth and water the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden. And there he placed the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Nice. So, um, obviously we're talking about now here, the, the garden of Eden. Um, and so it, it talks about how right here in verse five, and there was no man to cultivate the ground. Um, and then we see in verse, uh, seven, uh, how God had, had formed man, uh, from the dust of the ground, uh, and breathed into his nostrils. And so, uh, what, one of the interesting things, I believe that we actually have people have a whole lot of, the same i'm not not organisms but but we have a lot of the same elements as the as dirt so it's interesting that um that we were formed from from the dust of the ground um but it was god's the the breath of life that that brought adam to life um, yeah that's definitely a very interesting picture of God taking dust from the ground and breathing into this dust, dust into the nostrils and then creating life. So do you think this paragraph is specifically talking about how now no shrub of the field was yet in the earth and no plant of the field had yet sprouted? For the Lord God had not sent rain upon the earth, and there was no man to cultivate the ground. So to me, do you see this as like a separate, uh, do you see this as more of a summary of what has already happened? Or do you believe this is really starting over with Eden saying Eden didn't have any shrubs and Eden didn't have any plants? Or do you see this as just going back to chapter one? where we learn about, you know, the plants coming first. Mm -hmm. And then we have the lights and then we have the sea creatures. And then we have the land animals and the creeping things. And then man's created right on the sixth day. Yep. So do you see, how do you see that? 
How do you see yeah, this so, in chapter yeah, two? Yeah, so I feel like that God created a, a general plant life. I think that there were plant lives, plants that he created. Um, I think maybe if you want to break it down to a shrub of the field, certain shrubs of the field, right? There were certain, like, I, I, I think it's possible that maybe he hadn't created specific, like the tree of life or the, or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Like there were, there were certain plants that I think he may have created that day in Eden. But um, I mean, plants in, in another sense, though, he had created other plants earlier in, in the creation week. That, I mean, that, that's how I see it. This to mean, if we take it as literal as possible, okay. Mm-hmm. Now, no shrub of the field. Now, no shrub of the field, right? So, which mm-hmm. field are we talking about? If you think about it, what sh- now? No shrub of the field, or is this? Or is this? This could potentially be referenced to a shrub. Yeah. Was yet in the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted for the lord god had not sent rain upon the earth and there was no man to cultivate the ground i feel yeah, like so this I, verse is kind of the 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 big one yes yeah, so, yeah that's super you know a good question and i think that i think to me it, it, you know we're talking about a garden here like a and when you think of a garden a garden is different in the sense that it, a garden is maintained right so i think it's possible that like, obviously, I think that there were forests, right? God created these forests. I believe it's on, you know, when he created the plant life. And so I think that it, it, it kind of the view that I have is that God did kind of, he's still doing his creative works with Adam and Eve in Eden, right? Like it's, this is more of a unique focus um, because of what God has, the responsibilities, right? Because as we're about to see, like, um, connecting to later in this chapter about like how God gave Adam and Eve work, right? So people working is not a result of the fall. God gave work before the fall of man. And so there is responsibility, there's things. And, and so a garden is something that needs to be maintained. And so God may have been doing some creative things specific to what he's about to do in the Garden of Eden. But do you mind I, if- I, yeah, Do you mind if it. we spend one minute reading this quick article that I found on this? Yeah, hit me with it. There are two primary claims of contradictions between Genesis chapters 1 and 2. The first is in regard to plant life. Genesis 1.11 records God creating vegetation on the third day. Genesis 2.5 states that prior to the creation of man, no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth and no plant on the field had yet sprung up the lord god had not sent rain on the earth and there was no man to work the ground so which is it did god create vegetation on the third day before he created man before he created man did god create vegetation before he created man or did he create men or after he created man the hebrew words for vegetation are different in the two passages Genesis 1.11 uses a term that refers to vegetation in general. Genesis 2.5 uses a more specific term that refers to vegetation that requires agriculture, i.e. a person to tend it, a gardener. The passages do not contradict. Genesis 1.11 speaks of God creating 
vegetation. Genesis 2.5 speaks of, speaks of God not causing farmable vegetation to grow until after he created man. So to me... You dog, you've just solved it. To me, I, I think we should include something like this. Yeah. Because, listen, I don't necessarily... Listen, I get that we're not... You're right. We're not uh, apologists, scholars with 20 years of, of study and degrees. Okay? Hmm. We're not that. We're better than that. Yeah. We are two bros. Two bros. <laughs> two bros Bible study. Okay? Yeah. And, you know, to me, giving, showing an example of somebody seeing something and at first glance having a doubt or concern and then doing some research to further investigate the issue so that their the perceived contradiction is less of a challenge listen i think that's i think that's good i guess is the way i think about it i don't know what do you think i agree i like it i say we just I think that the thing that you just gave was super helpful and that, that, that resolved the whole thing. Listen, if you want to do more study on this, check out Lee Strobel's book, The Case for a Creator. Yeah. Then that will give you more clarification on some of what is discussed here. I highly recommend for anybody who has any questions about the Bible that they just do a Google search. I do this all the time. And what we're what we're dealing with is a book that was originally written in another language and we're dealing with a translation and whenever you deal with translations you have to do word studies and even though we are using NASB as we said in our first episode Genesis 1 in order to really understand what the words are saying you really have to know Greek to know absolutely without a doubt having more certainty and all of that. Or, or the Hebrew yeah or the Hebrew, exactly. In this case, the Hebrew, because it's we're dealing with the Old Testament here. And unless you're reading the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, and that's Greek. No, but I mean, what, I, I wasn't disagreeing with you with the Greek. I think Greek and Hebrew are both relevant to the Old Testament. Going to the original, yeah, going to, going yeah. to the original language. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now's yeah. a good time in episode two to talk, <laughs> talk about the Septuagint. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to be... Uh, yeah. You're right. This is a this is a beginners um, yeah. beginners podcast. Yeah. Um, all right, everybody, get out your uh, note <laughs> get your notepad. <laughs> yeah. We're about to lecture you on the Septuagint for the next. Yeah, I was thinking about going on a Septuagint tangent, so that's yeah. good. That, I yeah. could tell that. Yeah, you you saw it in my eyes. I did. I did. Justin wants to start rambling about the Septuagint. <laughs> No, but here's the thing. If you guys ever see, if you ever read in a commentary or whatever, and you see just LXX, that's actually just like, that's a reference to the Septuagint. That's a brief. So if they don't want to sell, talk, spill out all Septuagint or whatever, uh, that's actually a reference to it. So anyway. Yep. But that's all I'll say. All righty then. All okay. right. So, so, or no? Okay. All right. Sorry. Thank you, Justin. For Were you going to say more? Thank you, Justin, for all of your <laughs> insightful <laughs> thoughts back there. Really appreciate it. Um, let's move on to the next paragraph, paragraph three. This is actually a perfect one, 
I think that I've been wanting you to read for a little while since since the very beginning of this channel. Um, nice. Okay, I'm gonna hit up uh, chapter or verse ten. Now a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon. It flows around the whole land of Hevilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. The Bedellium and the onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gahan. It flows around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris. It flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. So something interesting with these four rivers um, is that it, at least so, so the Tigris and the Euphrates are the only rivers mentioned after the flood. And there's, from my understanding, there's two views on this. Either the flood changed the geography where the Pishon and the Gahan disappeared, or the, um, or what happened is when Noah, wherever he landed, it, what he did is he just renamed to the first two rivers he found, he renamed them the Tigris and the Euphrates. Um, so it depends on your view of if you believe that the Garden of Eden what was in is you know between or near the two rivers uh, Tigris and Euphrates and Mesopotamia, if you believe that was the original location of the Garden of Eden. So anyway, there's different views on that. Yeah, and to give a little more context, people use the Bible and archaeology today to see where things were in history. And so there are people that have actually looked for the Garden of Eden. And the description of where the Garden of Eden was is an area from which a river flowed out of. And from there, it divided and became four rivers. And so if you think of the Garden of Eden being here, and then you have four rivers coming out of it, that's how you would ultimately find the Garden of Eden. And so there's really no place on the planet where you find both the existing location of the Tigris and Euphrates as two of those four rivers, and then two more rivers coming out of that. Like that place isn't currently found on the planet. And so um, there's explanations for that, which Justin just described, but definitely extremely interesting. Let's move on to the next one. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. I like it how you did that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so one, one quick thing on this one, um, obviously going back to this paragraph above here, God created the tree of life and also the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so if you look and see which one that Adam is allowed to and not allowed to eat, uh, he can eat from any tree of the garden freely. But only one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. That means he can eat from the tree of life. 
What are your thoughts, Justin? Yeah, so I like it. You know, right here you have a lot of people talk about, well, why did God even put the tree there, right? Um, and so, so I believe that God, obviously, well, God created Adam in this kind of sinless state, right? And I've heard it described as like, but he wanted to give Adam a choice to make a moral decision on his own, right? Because if you never have, if you never have the choice to make the morally right decision, then then you can't really be, uh, then you can't have like righteousness attributed to you, right? So like um, last month, uh, me and Henry made homemade kolaches together with uh, little smokies and cheese. And so if I, you know, kind of bread, yeah, cro croissant bread. Yeah, you're right. Croissant bread. And so like, um, well, while I was still cooking, you buttery, know, but we had two different kinds, buttery yeah, we and, did. and cinnamon flavor. No, 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 no. Was it the cinnamon? It was the buttery. It wasn't cinnamon. Honey. What? Honey. Oh my gosh. That honey was working. It, it, it made me wish that I had gotten all of them with the honey. Whose idea was it to get the honey? Yeah, it was, it was yours. Um, but I went with it. You did. Uh, I went with we it. can actually thank you for that idea. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah, 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 I agree. But no, so while, while I'm cooking, while I'm finishing up our, our, our little Smokies kolaches, Henry's already munching, right? So the point is that if I was in the situation where I asked Henry, hey, can you leave these last two little Smokies kolaches for me? And I'm giving Henry a choice, right? So well, here's the thing. So if I leave them out on the baking sheet where Henry's taking all the current kolaches and I ask him to leave those two, I'm giving Henry the option to make a moral choice. But if I go and I put the last two kolaches in a safe, then I don't give Henry the, the option to make a righteous decision, right? So it's kind of like we have God giving Adam to make, giving Adam the option to make a righteous decision uh, yeah. I think one thing I might add on this is I think the introduction of choice uh, between two moral decisions, you know, basically good and evil. Does Adam want to obey God or does he want to disobey God? <laughs> and what you'll find throughout the rest of the Bible is this option of believing and not believing in God and obeying and not obeying God. And so, um, I've heard it said that, you know, can, can you, can you force somebody to love you? If I was, you know, like this girl and, you know, I wanted her to like me, could I force her to love me? Or would that something, or would that be something she would have to choose? Um, I don't know anyone Good. that I could force to love me. You know, I don't, uh, as, yeah. a, as lovable as I am, I, I never come across this situation, but, um, no, <laughs> there definitely are, there definitely are people that don't, they don't love you, you know, and yeah. that's their perfect, perfectly fine choice. Yeah. And is part of it. I've, I've heard it put is part of the essence of love, the ability to have the choice to love or not love. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Do you want to take a quick minute to cry right now? <laughs> no, I, while you were, saying, you were saying all that, I was thinking of like Stockholm Syndrome. 
And like there have been kidnappers who kidnap a chick and then the, the chick turns and like falls for him or whatever. Um, so that's force. So you're, so you're basically no, no, it's, it's contradicting force. everything I just said by no, no, it's for no, 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 no. So the, the capturing them is forced, but then the way their mind switches and they turn, they, they develop feelings for their captor. You know, does that I mean, make Adam Adam a, uh, a a victim to God's capturing? No, um, no, because I mean, obviously, the, the you know, because we're created by God, God is the creator of all existence, and so like I believe that God is so um, appealing, right? That He, that the creator God is so appealing that it's not forced on Adam. Yeah. No. Let's get back into this right here. Um, let's get back into this. Did you have any other comments about this right here? I didn't. Okay, no. cool. Why don't you get this part? Yeah. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground the Lord formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh and the man and his wife we're both naked and we're not ashamed. So um, now we see God here saying it's not good for the man to be alone. And so one of the things we see here too is that um, we have God giving Adam the responsibility of naming all the animals. And I've heard it said that if you name something, it kind of gives you authority over it. And so with what's going on here is that God, that human beings are God's peak creation and that God wanted man, uh, human beings to rule over the earth. Right. And we, we see, as we're going to talk in chapter three about how that order got all disrupted. But the point is I've heard, uh, I had a professor that talked once and, and said that he thinks maybe that God had Adam start naming all the animals to see. And it said um, in verse 20, but for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So I had an old professor, a professor, former professor, say that what he was doing is he would say uh, he brought like Mr. and Mrs. Cow or a bull and a cow, right, to, to Adam. And then he brought Mr. and Mrs. Elephant or whatever it was and to see these pairs. And so for him to say, kind of see that, Adam, you, you need uh, you, you need a partner, just like all the animals have partners. Um, so obviously that's not explicit in scripture, but it's something interesting how it kind of led up to that though. Um, and kind of what happened there. So, yeah. Yeah. And two things that I kind of noticed 
from, I think, a love side of things. It says here, the man, Lord, the, the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Adam was seems pretty excited about this this lady friend that he has here yep. you know i mean he's basically writing poetry poetry here um mm -hmm. in a sense i mean this is both really both kind of from a physical and maybe a poetic stance and except for the fact that when you call him lady friend i've called <laughs> i've i've called them lady friend before and they don't like that they they want you to label it way more specifically than that. But keep going. Maybe that works for you, though. Keep going. You know, I I just don't talk to girls, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> I mean, uh, the only time I'm calling anyone a lady friend is if it's you. Yeah. You're, <laughs> you're right. You just you just can't get over that one time I cried while we were working out. I'm just kidding. <laughs> The other thing I really like here is, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So with with regards to this first part, the man is leaving his father and his mother and joining his wife. And to me, in, depending on where you live on the planet, there's certain people that will prioritize their relationship with their father and mother over their own wife and that's culturally accepted and that might seem a little bit foreign to us here in the united states because i i suspect most people in the united states might value their relationship with their wife over their father and their mother but at the end of the day if this plays itself out um accordingly with each generation, what you're always going to see is a man leaving his father and his mother, you know? And I think the parents that don't put their relationships with each other, the wife and the husband first, you're going to find some challenges. Whenever your kids leave, you'll hear about empty nesters, right? Empty yep. nesters and they're like trying to get to know each other again. And so I, I kind of see here a situation in which God saying to prioritize your relationship with your wife, I think over not only your mother and your father, but also your kids. And you might think, Henry, that's crazy. How could you put your relationship with your wife over your kids? Well, wouldn't you want your kids to see a godly relationship, a loving relationship between a, the husband between their parents? Wouldn't you want your kids to see that so that they can model that and they could find a loving relationship they would have with their future wife? So I don't see any problem with that. Eventually, you're going to leave your parents and you're going to be joined with your wife. And all that, your kids are going to leave you and be joined with their wives. And so having a priority of the relationship with the wife makes a lot of sense here. And there's one more comment I want to make here. Any, any other comments on that, Justin? No, I'm just just really waiting for you to address verse 25 or the the naked and the shame stuff but keep going and the the next next part and they shall become one flesh so to me that's a really powerful statement right becoming one 
flesh. That's that's epic, you know. And and um, when you're talking about being joined with your wife, you know, when you're joined with your wife, part of being married is having a, a sexual relationship within marriage and becoming one, and part of that becoming one flesh. And I think in our society today, we see sex as this really cheap thing that we just don't value. We don't prioritize, we don't value it, we don't cherish it. And I think one of the big reasons why we should cherish it is because it's not just this physical act. It's becoming one flesh with somebody. And that's a really big deal. I mean, do you wanna do you wanna become one flesh with twenty different people? You see these different breakups that happen and people are devastated afterwards. And I think part of the reason they're devastated is because they had that physical relationship outside of marriage. And whenever you do that, you you go beyond just a like a like a friendship you know you're going beyond that you're going beyond just a physical physical act there's something more more um going on there and i mean it says right here the bible says you become one flesh and i think breaking up people breaking up and divorcing is a very unnatural thing very disturbing thing and i think we should just cherish and value purity in a sense because of what the bible tells us you know becoming one flesh you nailed it. And yeah. <laughs> I got I got nothing better to say on that verse. You know, um I will just say that um I'm probably one of the best people to take advice from on this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just let me tell you. Uh, I am successful with the ladies. It is, it's unreal. Um, just kidding. Juggle it. He, he, he juggles the honeys. <laughs> Henry juggles the honeys. First off, you got to do a little, <laughs> you got to do a little bit of this. Okay. Yeah. Be, juggling like, the honeys. No, this is all just a big joke, obviously. But, um, yeah. Anyways, verse 25, what'd you have to say about that? Yeah. So I think it's interesting. Um, the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed I feel like this is talking about um, like there was no reason for them like the, vo feeling vulnerable was not like an issue here, right? Because the man was not going to exploit the the woman, and the woman was not going to exploit the man. So there was no re need to feel ashamed or vulnerable. It was okay to be vulnerable, but not actually um, to make yourself vulnerable, but not actually feel vulnerable in a way that would there would be a negative. Um, because they're not going, this is before the fall. This is before sin entered the world. And so they're not going to exploit or take advantage of each other. So there was, there was no worry in a sense about being totally vulnerable with that person. Agreed. Which you could say today is, it's hard to do, right? Becoming vulnerable with people. Oh, um, definitely. Especially your own spouse in some points. I mean, I think that complete... And I think one of the reasons why it's hard to be vulnerable is because people are trying to protect themselves ultimately yeah. from being hurt. Yeah. Yep. Whoa. This was a, this was uh I have to say this is our best F this is our best work right here. Yeah. This one. Yeah. You know what I thought was interesting. So today, remember when it talked about the mist coming up from the ground, you, you kept mispronouncing it and calling it midst as in you is as, as if, like you're in the midst of someone else. <laughs> Did I really? Yeah. 
Yeah, so I was thinking oh like episode gosh. one, episode one, you did the X pants. Mm. Episode two, you did midst. I'm wondering what word you're going to screw up in episode three. <laughs> you know, Genesis three. You're going to have to watch to find out. Tune in. Yeah. <laughs> Tune in. Tune yeah. in to see what I mess up next time. Yeah. 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 No, this is this is definitely a good one. Um, right now, we're on a perfect planet. The Earth is perfect yep. at this point. Yep. Which is awesome. Which is exciting. It is. This is essentially what heaven's like, right? Perfection. Yeah. You know, one of the interesting things is that um, I've heard scholars describe it as the Bible begins with a garden and ends with a city. And so, you know, we have this perfect state of God having created human life in this garden. In Genesis, the very beginning of Genesis, and then at the very end of Revelation, we have the perfect, this perfect, God restores the world to this perfect state with people living in this city, uh, the, the, the new Jerusalem. And so uh, there's also trees and rivers there. So it's, you know, definitely like a bookend uh, parallels type thing. Do you think, I'm just wondering, I'm just curious, do you think this is how the story ends? We all just kind of ride off on a white white horse into a rainbow with everything being perfect for the rest of the Bible? Like in the eternal state, yeah. I think everything, I don't, I don't think we're going to have, like it says in Revelation that God's going to wipe away every tear, right? Like there's going to, there's going to be no more pain and sadness and for, for Christians in the eternal state. So no, no more conflict, no more bad stuff. It's going to be awesome. Don't you wish you could just stop reading the Bible right here and this is the end right here? Yeah, I guess there's something interesting about that, though. Theologians have speculated that um, if God left it like this, we wouldn't see his glory. We wouldn't see God's truly true greatness. Because God created this perfect creation and things were perfect, but there's some there's something, I guess, beautiful in seeing how we sinned against God and how much he did to bring us back into fellowship with him. Right. Right. We see we see more of his glory is revealed in, in that sense, uh, because of what he did. Yeah. I think it's like I like to think about it, you know, whenever you have a Red Baron pizza and you eat it and you're like, you know, this is good. And then you finally eat your first Totino's pizza. And then you realize how amazing Red Baron is only after you've eaten a Totino's pizza. There's a lot to be learned there. <laughs> and actually, deep. I'm concerned. <laughs> I'm actually um, really excited that the Bible includes actual Greek words describing pizza. <laughs> pizza describe, <laughs> describe this exact relationship. We're gonna have we're, you're gonna have to wait to find out on that one. So uh, cool. I, I really love how you just addressed all deep <laughs> philosophical meaning with illustrations of frozen pizza. That blew my mind. Yeah. Well, I'm a, I'm a gentleman and a scholar. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> nice. 
There's no reason anyone should be surprised by that. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, um, Justin, thank you for imparting your wisdom on me and our audience today. You know, everything that's in that bookshelf behind you has gone into your brain and out <laughs> of your <laughs> and out of your mouth. And I feel enlightened. So thank you for that today. Oh man, I uh, uh, just between us girls, I actually haven't finished all those books, <laughs> so <laughs> I don't. Uh, I'm just kind of shooting from the hip here sometimes, man. I'm I'm winging it. No, I mean, I I have some thoughts sometimes, but the the thoughts I've just heard from professors or read somewhere. So yeah, I'm not contributing original thoughts. I'm just stealing it from someone else. Yeah, so. without sourcing it. Oh, definitely without sourcing it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. Th thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And thank you. And you, looking forward to see you next time. Stay classy. <laughs> uh, peace out <laughs> oh